Welcome to Factor Migri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. Now, New Zealand's wine industry is young by global standards, but it has quickly become a respected wine-producing nation. New Zealand's wine regions are typically found, with some exceptions, on the east coast of both the North and South Islands, and each region and sub-region contain their own unique soil and climatic conditions. Due to the Southern Alps, the east coast of New Zealand is typically dry, as these mountains block our predominant weather, which flows from the northwest to southwest directions. With irrigation, water application can be managed, which gives the wine grower certain controls over the performance of the grapevines and ultimately the concentration of the fruit. New Zealand is home to the world's most southerly vineyards and they benefit from the moderating effect of a maritime climate and long sunshine hours and cool nights that provide perfect environments for grapes to thrive. In this edition, I'm talking with Clive Jones, General Manager and Winemaker from Nautilus Estate, to get a better understanding of the Marlborough wine industry and what makes Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc so unique. Due to COVID-19 lockdown this week, my planned schedule has had to be pushed back. This interview with Clive Jones was done last year during the latter stages of lockdown here in New Zealand. Hello Clive, thank you for talking with me today. Thanks for inviting me to join you. Yeah, it's great, great to um, have the opportunity to have a chat. Please can you tell me a bit about where you are located and what grape varieties you grow? So uh, I'm with Nautilus Estate. We're based in Marlborough. And um, I guess being based in Marlborough, we predominantly grow Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, but we also do other white varieties such as uh, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, more recently Albarino and Grunewald Wiener and we make a premium sparkling wine in the champagne style and the red variety we do, we only do one red variety and that is Pinot Noir. Nautilus Estate owned by the Hill Smith family and hailing from the Barossa Valley in Australia, they are Australia's oldest family owned wine company. They really saw an opportunity in Marlborough early on, didn't they? Yeah, they did. So Nautilus was established in 1985. So that was kind of the second wave of producers into Marlborough. Um, and, you know, it started with what was Montana in the early 70s and then a few few sort of getting established in the 70s. So so Robert Hill Smith, who uh, currently still leads the, 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 the family business, he was over here actually selling Australian wine in the New Zealand market and saw potential in the New Zealand industry. And the, the story is he, he went home and, um, and spoke to his dad and said, hey, look, I think we should, you know, create a brand and invest in New Zealand. And the story goes that his, his dad said, son, you know, forget it. The, the Kiwis are good at rugby, not bad at cricket. They breed good racehorses, but they make rubbish wine. <laughs> Nevertheless, Robert went ahead and created the brand. And, and one of his regrets was his father sort of passed away a few years later before the brand had blossomed. And he, he had the opportunity to say, um, I told you so. What makes Marlborough such a great wine growing region? And in particular, why is it so suitable for Sauvignon Blanc? Well, I like to say Marlborough is not the largest grape-growing region in New Zealand by accident. It's a it's a great place to grow grapes. Uh, obviously, Blenheim's known as one as one of New Zealand's sunniest towns, and, and that of course helps. Uh, but we're also quite protected. So, being sort of in that northeastern corner of the the South Island, we we're protected from the southerlies that come up from Antarctica the, um, by Cape Campbell. So. 
you know, we don't get the cold weather that smacks into Wellington. And we, we also protected from the warm, wet stuff that comes down from the tropics by the North Island. So, you know, we're in this little nice zone where we've got a really nice climate, uh, you know, favourable weather patterns generally. And, um, and that sort of all adds up to a great place to grow grapes. And, you know, everywhere in New Zealand's close to the sea. Obviously, we have the moderating influence of the sea, but we're also known for our cool nights and warm days. And that means a sort of really unrushed ripening period. So the flavours develop slowly uh, and the, they, they, you get more complex flavours as a result of that, more distinctive flavours. And Sauvignon Blanc just seems to have a natural home here. Uh, we do have a variety of soil types, so you know, from stony old riverbed through to you know, heavier silts and clays. Uh, and while soil type is an important and contributing factor, um, you know, it's, it's in conjunction with the climate, the area. You know, there's just something magic here about Sauvignon Blanc. How much of Sauvignon's story is attributed to marketing, if any? Well... Not a lot, I, I think. Um, you know, the, the growth of Sauvignon has been through demand. You know, we haven't really been going out there and pushing it out there to the markets. It's, you know, the markets have, have tasted it, responded it and, and bought Sauvignon. So there was a, a bit of a standing joke um, probably, you know, for the first, or, you know, for that, that period through the 90s and early 2000s that, you know, marketing Sauvignon was really about allocating um, because it was a limited resource so you know you could allocate this much to that market this market and that much to another market uh, you know since then in the industry's grown a bit better we, we certainly need to be a bit more smarter about marketing and um, but it's you know the biggest marketing we do is, is, is put a glass in some in front of someone and, and I've, I still see that when you travel internationally and, and you talk particularly in a consumer facing and say, have you tried a glass of Sauvignon from Mulberry anymore? And they say, no, you say, try this, pour them a sample in the glass, and they lift it up and they go, wow, because they've never seen anything so distinctive. Um, and that's been just fantastic for us as a, as a region and a country to get our wine on the map. What varieties are emerging in the region that does not get the same attention as Sauvignon Blanc currently? Well, I think um, our, our best kept secret is our Chardonnay. Uh, we make fantastic cool climate Chardonnay in Marlborough. Uh, but in reality, there's, you know, so do, so do the people in Hawke's Bay and Martinborough and the central Otago. I mean, Chardonnay, you can get great Chardonnay from throughout the country. But the Marlborough Chardonnay does have a distinctive style. It's more in that sort of citrus-based flavours and aromas. And it tends to be what we drink at home. Um, and it's, but it's probably our, you know, undiscovered secret, I think, in terms of white wine. Um, wine varieties. Uh, in terms of emerging varieties, one that we've been working with is Alborino. So it's a Spanish variety. It's, it's, it's generally associated with a warmer climate than where we are in Marlborough, so we're a bit on the edge, but we've made that wine for about five years now, and it's one of our top three sellers at our cellar door. So it's a, not a lot of people are looking for it at the moment because they're not aware of it, but when they try it, they go, Again, you get that bit of that wow factor and they go, yes, that's the style of wine I want to want to try and they and they purchase, which is great. And the red and the red variety, Pinot. Um, again, Pinot is very much set uh, in the background compared to our Sauvignon. And you know, other regions in New Zealand, you know, deservedly get 
you know, a lot of limelight was Pino, so, you know, Martinborough and, and Central Otago, for instance. But I guess we've been working away with Pino behind the scenes as producers in Marlborough, and over the last 20 years, we've worked out where to grow it and how to grow it. And, you know, we think we've now got vineyards we've been working with for long enough now that the quality of the Pinot coming out of Marlborough is, is actually quite a revelation. There's a lot of discussion at the moment around water usage. Are there any concerns around water in Marlborough and is there any pressure on supply? Uh, certainly, you know, we, we need a reliable water source in Marlborough. Uh, while it's, it's certainly possible to grow grapes and, you know, have vineyards that are dry grown but don't have any supplementary irrigation, the reality is, you know, particularly with our bony, stony old riverbed soils in Marlborough and, and the good old New Zealand Nor'wester, uh, when the Nor'wester kicks up and you've got these really stony soils, they just don't hang on to water. So, you know, you need to, you need to replenish it. So we certainly do rely on irrigation. Um, we've got a great resource in the Wairau River and the aquifer that runs through the plains of the Wairau Plains. And I think we're really starting to appreciate that as a resource and certainly don't take it for granted. And, you know, grapevines don't, are not high water users from a, from a, you know, compared to other horticultural crops. And, and we're certainly understanding more how, you know, when to use it, when not to use it. And also look at things like winter storage. So, you know, we can we can harvest water during the winter to use during those critical you know, summer months where where we may be, um, you know, the river's low and it's getting marginal in terms of availability of water. Grapes have certainly improved the social and economic benefits for Marlborough. How is the industry managing sustainability and environmental challenges? Well, sustainability has always been an, an integral part of the New Zealand wine industry. And in fact, you know, we, we established... Uh, Sustainable Wine Growing New Zealand, as known as SWINS, as a as a program, um, and it was it's a world leading program that was um, established by the winery back in 1997. So, you know, it's been going for well over 20 years now, and that that sort of you know the outcome, desired outcome of that program is to formally set industry baseline sustainability performance, and then demonstrate credible compliance through independent third party audit verification. So. We've had this system in place for over 20 years now and, and look, you know, something like 98% of vineyards in New Zealand are accredited to the system. And initially it was, the focus was on, you know, water use, waste streams, pest and disease. Uh, but more recently we've, you know, looking at a, a much broader approach and really going back to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and, and checking we're aligned with those goals. So we've introduced, you know, or looking at more of a focus on things like climate change, people and soil. So perhaps a little bit more of that sort of social aspect of sustainability. And, you know, I think that also kind of lines up with, uh, you know, for the last two, well, for, you know, between the 90s and the 2000s, the wine industry was growing at an enormous rate and it was, it was all about growth and finding a new vineyard or a new piece of land to develop and, you know, expansion, expansion. And in, in the last 10 years, it's been much more about, you know, consolidation and appreciating the resources we've got and working with the resources we've got. And I think that comes also with a bit of a, you know, you step back and go, hey, you know, we've really got to look after what we've got. And uh, you've also got, you know, in a number of New Zealand wine companies, you've got the second generation coming through, so looking at succession. And generally, that younger generation is, 
you know, sustainability is probably a little bit more in the front of their mind than perhaps the appearance, you know, it was for the appearance. So, you know, you, you are seeing a, it's always been a focus, but you're seeing a bit of a renewed focus and a, and a, and a slight change in, in focus on the, um, you know, some of the aspects of sustainability that we're looking at. Is Nautilus Estate involved in the entire process for all wine you produce from grape to consumer? Well, we, we grow grapes. Uh, we, we purchase grapes from uh, local farmers, local grape growers. We make wine. We don't bottle on site, so we use a contract facility for bottling, so, which, is, which is quite common because uh, bottling equipment is quite specialised and you know, we, we don't really need to use it all year, so having a, um, you know, someone else do that job is, is, is good. Uh, we, we're involved in distribution, uh, but our only retail sort of focus is at our cellar door and through a mailing order. So, so we're sort of involved in all aspects of the industry apart from really significant amount of direct retail. We leave that through distribution, you know, fine wine shops, restaurants, supermarkets, and etc. Looking to the future, have you got confidence in New Zealand's primary industry in general and specifically Marlborough's wine industry? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. I mean, what, what I think New Zealand does have to focus on, and particularly from a, a food sector, is, is premiumisation. Um, you know, we're never going to compete internationally in a, in a commodity world, but, you know, we have the opportunity to, to really grow premium value-added products. And I think wine sits quite nicely into that box, you know, and that every, every bottle of wine that leaves the country is proudly made in New Zealand and, you know, has a story associated with it that you can trace back to New Zealand. So, you know, providing we focus on, you know, quality over quantity, then um, there's no reason why our primary sector can't, can't flourish. And that, you know, that applies to wine, it applies to fruit, it applies to, you know, meat products as well. There's, there's no reason why it shouldn't flourish. How is vintage through COVID-19 and what can we expect from your wines this year? Well, it was certainly uh, certainly one for the books, that's for sure, um, and uh, a vintage that was, you know, basically we had just really kicked into the harvest by the time uh, it looked like, you know, a lockdown was required. So certainly um, in those few days leading up to that, there was a lot of nervousness about, and, you know, if we, the consequences of not being able to continue the harvest were just too scary to contemplate to be honest. We were classified as essential so able to go about uh, the harvest and but obviously we had to put a whole lot of protocols in place in terms of you know operating as bubbles and you know no contact with people outside our, our work groups um, you know non-essential staff were working from home so it was really just the staff that were involved in directly with harvesting the grapes and processing the grapes at the wineries that were, were working. Um, you know, we had, I know it wasn't me personally, but we had people where they, you know, they live just around, the, they were living in a hotel just around the corner from where they would normally live for a, a month or six weeks and had absolutely no contact with their family yeah. um, because that's the way that we had to operate to ensure we could keep going. And, and look, thankfully, we, you know, we were, we were able to continue to operate. We didn't have any incidents of COVID in wineries. Um, but in terms of, so that was the challenge. Uh, in, in terms of the weather, it was just fantastic. And there's, you know, the wines we've made are, are absolutely outstanding. And 
So Mother Nature did really come to the party when we had all these other concerns to worry about. She didn't throw any curveballs at us uh, like she, you know, she can do. We've had, we've had the odd tropical cyclone come through during harvest and things in the past, which uh, can give us some challenges. But, you know, it's, it's a wine that we've made, or it's a vintage we've made fantastic wine, but we didn't really get to enjoy it. Um, you know, circumstances, we would have probably slowed down the pace of the harvest a little bit because uh, it didn't really matter whether you pick today or tomorrow. You know, so under normal circumstances, we might we might have said, "Well, let's not pick today. Let's pick tomorrow. Let's go. Let's go to the pub and have a drink, and mm. you know, do social tonight." But the pubs are all closed, so we couldn't do that. So we we kind of picking. So so as a result, we probably finished harvest a little bit earlier than we may have done under under normal normal circumstances. But you know, we're just starting to get to the stage where we're looking at bottling wines now and, and we can really reflect on how good they are, um, albeit, you know, a weird vintage by, by any measure. Thank you very much for your time today, Clive. No problem. Thank you to Clive Jones. It was great to talk to him about his business and indeed the wines he produces. What is instantly clear is that sustainability is indeed right at the top of his practices. Grapes were first planted on a large scale in Marlborough in the early 1970s. Prior to this, Marlborough was thought to be too dry and too cold for wine grapes on a commercial scale. Pioneers recognised that the Wairau Valley and favourable grape growing and wine making conditions, in particular a summer combination of hot sunny days and cool nights. Blenheim has a January mean monthly temperature of 18 degrees Celsius with a daytime high of 24 degrees Celsius and a nighttime low of 12 degrees Celsius. This 12 degree range is one contributing factor that makes wine out of the region unique in flavour. The biggest vineyards and winemakers are corporate in nature. Substantial investment has enabled Marlborough to grow more grapes than the rest of the country combined. In the 2000s, most of the biggest vineyards and wineries were operated by overseas investors. A second tier of companies are owner-operator businesses who own vineyards and produce their own wine. There is also a mixture of Marlborough locals, many of which are landowners, who have converted from traditional farming systems in part or entirety to grapes. As I mentioned previously, many of the traditional farmers in Marlborough have made significant land use changes and are farming grapes which are then sold to corporate wine companies. Well, that's all for me this week. Go well, take the bit between your teeth, and give it heaps. Thanks for listening, and catch you next time on Factum Agri.